Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to the Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hi there, welcome to The Inner Life Indeed. I'm Josh Raymond, so glad to have you along for this Tuesday. It is the Solemnity of St. Peter and Paul. And if you listened to the program yesterday, you know that we spent the hour talking about St. Peter. Well, uh, today, you know, we're we're probably going to spend the hour talking about the other guy, St. Paul. Well, uh, as we begin the program here, have you known anyone who's had a major transformation in their life? Someone that you've known for a while, but for whatever reason, maybe you hadn't seen them for several months, maybe even a couple of years. And especially with COVID, that might have been far more possible with some of the different people that we know, uh, the different relationships that you have in your life. But then the next time that you saw them, there was something distinctly different. Maybe they'd lost a lot of weight. You know, they changed their eating habits and they started exercising. And they were almost unrecognizable when you saw them after this change. Maybe it was a change in attitude. You didn't seem to be talking to the same person because life circumstances, for whatever reason, it had impacted that person in a profound way. Or are you the person who had that huge transformation? For us, our daughter Anya, when she was in her last couple of years of high school, she couldn't wait to get out of the house, and she would let us know regularly, regularly, that she was ready to walk out the door, never to return, or at least rarely to return. As soon as she was out of high school and she could get her own place to rent, she wanted to be gone. And like so many other teenagers, Anya wanted to have freedom to do whatever she pleased, whenever she pleased, but of course there was still that lack of maturity. And the rules that I and her mother had in place in our home, well, to Anya, these were incredibly oppressive. So if we asked her to help with a chore, to clean up around the house, hey, can you vacuum? Can you take out the garbage? Can you mow the lawn? Can you help clean up that mess that you left on the bathroom counter? Things like this, just kind of normal day-to-day household routine things. These were gravely infringing upon her independence, upon her personal time. We were completely unreasonable, tyrannical parents. Some of you might know exactly what I'm talking about. There were some tough moments of conflict during those years when she was 16 and 17. And in those last months of her senior year of high school, the summer months that uh, there before she could move into the student housing at her college, my wife and I, we just decided, all right, we're going to try and keep the peace as much as possible. We knew that Anya would almost certainly grow out of this kind of selfish, moody, emotional teenager mode. Uh, so it was really kind of a balancing act for us as parents, holding firm on some of the most important or necessary rules and expectations in our house. But there were many times where we would just let things slide, trying to let those those last months before college be as calm, be as harmonious as possible. 
And there were certainly many moments where my wife and I, you know, something would be said by Anya and we would give each other a look, you know, maybe after she had walked out of the room, we'd roll our eyes at something she said or something she did where she didn't perceive how selfish she might sound in that moment. And so we made it through those summer months and in mid-August, we helped Anya load up her car and she got everything set for her move into her dorm room at college. And the college she was attending, it was still in the city where we lived, but for her it was far enough away to be out from under our roof. And we had, for the most part, that summer, we'd experienced a fairly drama-free summer just because my wife and I made that point to try and make it as easy as possible, just keep the peace. And we both, you know, as she was heading out the door, we wished her the best as she started living on her own. And that first day after Anya was gone, after she was out of the house, my wife, Baylen, and I, we had a conversation discussing, well, how many years do you think it'll be until Anya will kind of come around, have that realization that her parents are actually pretty nice people who want the very best for her. And we were both prepared for a long road ahead, giving that time for Anya to grow, to mature, let her come back on her own, to be more involved in our family when she was ready. And I think it was about 10 days later that I ended up coming home from work that afternoon. And after I walked in the door and some of our younger kids were there and I greeted them, well, Belen, my wife, she said Anya had stopped by the house. And I was slightly surprised, but I was very pleased that her first visit home, it was so soon after leaving school. It didn't have to be, you know, months down the road. And so I asked Baylen how everything went with Anya, and Baylen said it was a very nice visit, less than a half hour that she was there. But during that time, Anya had actually said, thank you for the home atmosphere in which she was raised. And when Baylen told me this, I was stunned. I was speechless. And I asked, well, where did this come from? This was not the same child who couldn't wait to get out of the house for the last two years. And Baylen said she was just as surprised. And later that week, Anya stopped by again. And when she did this, I asked her about the conversation with her mother. What, what had prompted this? Why this sudden dramatic change in her attitude toward her parents? And so Anya, she started explaining that as she was getting to know other students on the campus there, as they were discussing their backgrounds, their upbringings, getting to know each other, most of the other students had started telling stories about how their parents, they were manipulative, or there was deceit there. Or in one case, a father who outright stole large sums of money from his daughter. And apparently Anya heard enough of these stories from enough of the students there at her college to realize that the problems she had at her home were not really much of any sort of problems at all. She had two parents who deeply cared about her, who deeply loved her, and that was it. Ten days for a transformation that I was convinced was going to take something more like around ten years. And that encounter that Anya had with the students at her school, that encounter had impacted her in such a strong way that she was no longer the same person. Something had changed in her. And having that personal encounter that changes your life, well, that's kind of what our faith is, right? A life-changing encounter with Jesus. And today, the solemnity of St. Peter and Paul. We celebrate two men who helped establish Christianity on earth after both of them had that life-changing encounter with Jesus. Yesterday, like I said, we spent the hour looking at the teachings, the life of St. Peter. Well, today, we're going to look at the life and the teachings of St. Paul, a man whose encounter with Christ transformed him in such a profound way that he would go on to change the world with his preaching and with his writing. 
And so today, joining us to help us look at the life and the teachings of St. Paul, one of the regular voices here on The Inner Life, our spiritual director, Father Peter Arminio. He's a priest of Opus Dei. He's a widely sought speaker in his ministry of preaching retreats and days of recollection. Father Peter, welcome back to the program. So glad to be able to talk with you about this pillar of the foundation of our church, St. Paul, today. Oh, it's an honor, Josh, to speak about this illustrious illustrious saint, and it's important that we always draw material for conversion and hope from these saints. And probably the listeners will think, well, he, he, I will list all his great accomplishments. And to quote St. Jose Maria Escrivá, he does leave history in awe by the amount of work, the amount of evangelization. But I think we always have to go have a reality check here. This man was grievously sinful uh, before he was empowered to witness the light of Christ and actually give the ultimate witness and lay down his life. Well, and so, yeah, let's talk about his life before we get into maybe some of his writings and teachings. Sure. And so we're introduced to Paul, who's actually referred to as Saul of Tarsus in the early chapters of the Acts of the Apostles. And this is our first encounter there, is where he's actively trying to kill or imprison any Christians that are there on the scene and suppress the growth of the church. Uh, the other thing that we get a little insight into his background, in his letter to the Philippians, he tells us that he is of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was a Pharisee. Right. Um, so we get a little glimpse here and there into his early background. Uh, is there anything else that we know about Paul's early life before we see him well, persecuting he, Christians? Uh, it's not explicitly written, but he comes from Tarsus, which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is towards the coast of modern-day Turkey, which at that time was uh, part of the Greek world, and he was part of, uh, his family was part of the diaspora. Uh, he was familiar with sports. The Greeks were very much into, Olympics began with the Greeks, and he alludes to running and winning races right. and boxing and working out. Um, he went to the equivalent of Harvard uh, or Notre Dame, whatever school you think is uh, on the top of your <laughs> on list. The top, yeah. <laughs> and he studied under, you know, uh, he would be comparable to a Nobel Prize winner, Gamaliel, the uh, authority on the Jewish law, you know, a Pharisee, leader of the Pharisees. And so he, he traveled from Tarsus to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel. And probably the trip took uh, four or five months. Um, and he was very gifted, uh, probably came from uh, a family with means to be able to uh, go to school and spend that kind of time in uh, academic pursuits, especially the law. And even the Holy Spirit says in, I think, one of the letters, maybe the second letter of St. Peter, that Paul is a brilliant man. And, you know, don't don't be discouraged if you can't understand him because of his uh, high level of intellectual erudition. So we know that, and we know the. also we can surmise the man was extremely strong. He had a great constitution. Um, you could do it, but the amount of walking 
and being subject to all these harsh elements and these beatings and these imprisonments. And he lists all the, the contradictions, all the mishaps that he encountered in trying to evangelize. Uh, so we know that part, uh, that he worked hard. I mean, to produce, don't forget, there was no uh, printing press, there was no uh, word processors, and the amount of writing he did. And at the same time, constantly on the move, on the uh, three very long, at least recorded, missionary journeys. So we know that about him as well. Uh, that he was, he had indomitable energy, and even when he, before he converted, basically the reason why he went to Damascus is because he cleaned out Jerusalem, right. and he could see that he was a passionate man. Because in those days, not that they were into human rights and uh, women were second-class citizens, but you did not arrest them, and probably you didn't execute them, and you wouldn't do that with kids. You do it with men. But, you know, he took it to another level. He uh, he would arrest kids and women. And he had nothing else to do in Jerusalem because he got the job done. And uh, they gave him a horse. Uh, usually, if you're middle class, you get the camel, or maybe a little upwardly middle class. And if you're low economic class, you ride a little donkey. But he had a stallion. I mean, tradition has it. He was on a horse. Well, it's there. It's, in, it's written in the Acts of the Apostles. And so the fact that, you know, he's on a horse and he's going to Damascus, I mean, there's energy and there's fanaticism. And uh, so that's the kind of person he was. He was pretty passionate, pretty idealistic, um, and I would say pretty sinful because being that smart and with that kind of knowledge of the Old Testament, he should have figured out, well, maybe there is something to this Messiah. Right. Well, um, and even so when... anyway, that's, that, that's my overview. Yeah, and when he's going to Damascus, if I remember correctly, I don't have it here in front of me, but I think it says something like, even while he was still breathing murderous threats against there you go. You know, the Jews. So he's got this anger that's inside him at that point. Yeah, a very deep anger, very deep hatred. Um, that's huge. I don't care what culture you come from. I mean, he orchestrated, he supervised, uh, even as a young man, the death of St. Stephen. Right. Uh, he, he was there, and the executioners laid their vestments at his feet. Why? Well, he was the leader, even at that age, young age. And he ordered basically his execution and that's you know here there's probably other ones too you know uh so uh, you don't want to say it because he's you know he's the, one of the authorities of the history of the church uh but he was a terrorist right you know, well and against christianity and he even claims then uh, later on he says i am the chief among sinners right in, in all his writings you know, and Augustine was a little like that, but we're talking about Paul. Virtually in every epistle, he brings his, 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 his conversion up. But more his persecution of the Church. It never left him. You know, I know Peter was yesterday, but they say tradition, it never, his denial never left Peter either. Right. You know, typified by being crucified upside down. So he's still... He didn't want to die like Jesus. And Paul always had that on his mind, that that conversion, that sinfulness. And worked in his favor because I think that was part of the drive he had. You know, um, unfortunately and fortunately, you know, people who believed in and even 
practiced it or cooperate with abortions, when they convert to holiness, to following Christ, they can't do enough for the cause of, of life. And same thing with Paul. I mean, he couldn't do enough evangelizing uh, to make reparation for what he did. So it's always there. It's always present. Right, yeah. No, it, it, it helps to shape us as individuals where we've come from, uh, as long as we don't let that become baggage that weighs us down and doesn't right. let us proceed. Right. Well, it that conversion liberated him. Right. Um, and, and he was so thankful, and I felt honored to be that follower of Christ, that he, all right, he, he admitted that, you know, he, no one could rival him in his commitment and dedication to evangelization. But then he reminds the reader, but I persecuted the Church of Christ. Right. Well, so... So there's kind of a correlation. Now, I, I mentioned he's first introduced to us as Saul of Tarsus. Um, Peter, right. yesterday, originally named Simon, Jesus changes his right. name to literally mean rock, the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. My understanding is that Saul didn't necessarily have his name changed so much. It was that Saul would have been his Jewish or his Hebrew name. But then because he yes. was a Roman citizen, his Roman name would have been understood as Paul. Is, is this accurate? Do you know any background on the difference between the names there? Uh, to be honest, I don't, but it makes sense. It makes sense because he boasted that he was a Roman citizen. I mean, that got him to Rome. So uh, probably that's his Roman name. That's one speculation. The other speculation is, okay, now I'm a Christian, so I'm going to use my Roman name. Um, but to be honest, I do not know. Okay. Well, no, that, and I, I don't think there's any explicit you know, explanation given to us, unlike where we see maybe Abram is changed to Abraham, or right, exactly. uh, you know, Jacob exactly. is changed to Israel, uh, Simon to Peter, the, the, those sort Nathaniel of things. Daniel is changed to Bartholomew. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Levi is changed to Matthew. Yeah. Our spiritual director today, Father Peter Arminio, he's a priest of Opus Dei. We're talking about the life and the teachings of St. Paul. It is the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. And how has St. Paul helped you in your life to grow closer to Christ? Do you have a favorite passage maybe from one of his letters in the New Testament? How has his life inspired you to grow in holiness? Has there been a time you've prayed for his intercession and he's helped you in your faith journey? Our studio line, 888-914-9149. You can call in and share your story or ask any questions about the Apostle Paul, 888-914-9149. And we'll continue talking about the life and the teachings of St. Paul here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app in just a moment. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio studio line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. 
Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei. And today, the Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. It's a day to celebrate. Anytime you hear that word, solemnity, big, big day to celebrate here in the church. And so we're doing that talking about St. Paul. Yesterday, we talked about St. Peter. So if you missed that program, you can always go back and listen to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. Also want to say thank you to Patrick Conley, who filled in for me last week as I was out and uh, spending time with my family. And so thanks so much, Patrick, for doing just such a wonderful job keeping the show live here on the air on Relevant Radio. And today, as we do talk about St. Paul, how has St. Paul inspired you? Maybe you have a favorite passage from one of his letters, one of the epistles there in the New Testament. Or maybe St. Paul has uh, been that intercessor for you. You've had that time that you went to St. Paul asking for his help in a situation. How did he help you? Maybe you have a question about St. Paul, something in one of his letters. And it's, as Father Peter said, kind of hard to understand some of the things he's writing there. Uh, That's why our spiritual directors are here, to help you, to give you some insight, some help on your spiritual journey. Our studio line, 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Our email address inner life at relevantradio.com. And Father Peter, before the break, we were talking about all the different things that kind of made Saul of Tarsus, or as we call him, St. Paul, who he was, you know, all the different accolades and accomplishments. I mean, if if he went to high school these days in the yearbook, he might be under that most likely to succeed category that gets voted on by different students or different uh, teachers there at the school. And so we have this really dynamic individual. You talked about all these missionary journeys that he went on, all of the beatings, yeah. all of the trials that he went through, you know, might have been an athletic person. Um, but all of the things that he accomplished weren't just by virtue of him being this individual who was exceptional or could stand out maybe in a crowd. Uh, quite the contrary, he very often defers and talks about, listen, if there's anybody who has reason to boast, it's me, but I'm not going to. In fact, the only reason that I will boast is through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, That is definitely present. There's a number of themes present in all his uh, writings. One is that, that uh, obviously his conversion and what he did. So, you know, it's kind of, there's always a confession there, uh, even more emphasized than his conversion, and that the Lord was merciful to call him to be an apostle, uh, a late apostle, but nevertheless an apostle. But also what inspires all his writings are is the importance of prayer and his personal friendship with Christ. Paul uh, certainly was not an activist. He was active. He was hardworking, but he was also very much a contemplative, you know, uh, a man rooted in prayer. I mean, the Holy Spirit wrote his epistles. I mean, that's the Word of God. Right. But grace built on nature doesn't circumvent it. And so the Holy Spirit used his temperament, his uh, intellectual abilities, and especially his own personal spiritual life to write the marching orders of the primitive church. And, you know, just to give you a snippet, he's writing to the Ephesians, and these people are probably, 
I'd say, 50 families. The church was a moral church more than a physical church because it was a capital offense. Um, and so he was right, just to give it a snippet, uh, you know, we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place. Therefore, take the armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, which is an allusion to Christ, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, holiness, and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And then, that's Ephesians uh, 6.10 to 6.20, and then, I won't read too much, but in, in, in Philippians, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the other mantra he has, there's a lot of common messages he has, even though each epistle has a particular purpose, put on Jesus Christ, which is a, a, a powerful allusion to uh, the spiritual life. Put him on. It's about him. It's about working through him and in him. And... Uh, and so that's very, very much present in the writings of St. Paul. So he must have been, a, obviously, a, a very prayerful man, united to Christ. Well, and so he goes around, and he, he on these missionary journeys that you're talking about, he's establishing yes. all of these different churches. You know, all the other apostles, according to, to tradition, it seems that they kind of settle in one place. Paul continues to travel. He doesn't settle in one place for very long, at least not until he's arrested and finds himself in Rome. Um, but as he's establishing right. these these church communities, that's really uh, what we're getting here is his letters to those different church communities, those different Christians. Yes, that, that's basically what that is. And um, probably you would have an elder there, not necessarily a priest, uh, who would read those letters and uh, comment on those letters. You'd have prayer services. RCIA began during those times, um, and you'd meet at people's houses. The Eucharist would be celebrated in a bigger house, and um, that's when, for the liturgy, those those epistles would be read. You know, you'd read from the Old Testament, you'd read from the Gospel, or you'd recite, because the letters of St. Paul, a number of them are older than the Gospels themselves. So, um, but they were definitely used, and I think you know I'm speculating very that the early church had a very keen awareness that he was a special leader uh, chosen by Christ, uh, who was a recipient of a powerful vision of Christ that Christ spoke to him, and he saw Christ and commissioned him to be the apostle of the Gentiles. So he had a supreme authority because it wasn't a secret what happened to him when he was thrown off his horse. He's constantly talking about being thrown off his horse right. and converting. So you could imagine the prestige Paul had uh, in the early church. You know, and Hence, you go to St. Peter's Church, and you've got these two incredible Hulk statues. One is Peter with keys in his hands, and the other one with a sword, which is a symbol of the Word of God, not a symbol of violence. And uh, so, yeah, he, had a, he, he wielded an enormous amount of authority in the early church. Well, and you, ta- his history. you talk about his encounter with Christ, and that's something in his second letter to the Corinthians in the 12th chapter, 
we read about, it seems like he's alluding to himself. He t- he says, you know, I shouldn't, I, I don't want to boast about visions and revelations of the Lord, but I know someone. It seems like it's kind of like that. I'm asking for a friend kind of moment, you know, where uh, <laughs> I know yes. someone in Christ exactly. who 14 years ago was caught up in heaven, and I know that this right. person was caught up into paradise and heard ineffable things which no one may utter. And so he, it seems like, yeah, Christ takes him and he says, I don't know if it was in body or out of body. I just know that I was there, essentially, is what Paul was saying. And so he really does right. have – it's almost like he learns all of this theology directly from Christ, almost like the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, Jesus unfolds all of the Old Testament for them, were our hearts not burning within us as we were walking on the way there. And I, I imagine that St. Paul must have had some very, very similar or maybe more in-depth encounter with Christ explaining all of this. Could be more in-depth because, you know – you know, either he did have that, which I believe he did, but it's, it's 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 revealed, or he was incredibly arrogant, because in his letter to the Galatians and maybe other letters as well, he says, "Listen, even if an angel comes to you and gives you another gospel, that is that is anathema. The gospel you got to believe in is the gospel I'm giving you. You know, that's the gospel of God. And he calls it the gospel of God. So he's pretty, you know, clear." that the gospel he's teaching is the real thing. Right. And even if an angel comes up with another gospel, he has more authority than a, that hypothetical angel. And so he's very clear about what he's teaching. And Peter, who's the Pope then, uh, in his own writings, gives a heavy endorsement to the writings of St. Paul. You know, that's, he alludes to that. And, you know, that's the Pope. It's not, you know... One more holy person, right? Uh, <laughs> right. So, you know, if the pope uh, it's, it's, writes it's, it's the forward, if the pope writes the forward to your book, yeah, exactly. you're in good shape. <laughs> you're in very good shape, yeah. Yeah. But that's... the thing is, he doesn't stay with those revelations because, so he wouldn't be puffed up. Uh, he he was what does what does he say? A thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I besought the Lord about this, that is, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, that I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So that's it. It kind of encapsulates uh, his own personal spiritual life. You know. So there's a lot to be learned there. You know. Uh, he uses his weaknesses, humiliations, as a incentive, as a grace to unite himself more to Christ. So. Yeah, and that my grace very, is sufficient uh, for you. I mean, that's. If we can live that out, if, yeah, if we can absolutely just say, that's that's enough. Just God's grace alone is enough for me to be content and not exactly. feel like I need anything exactly. else. <laughs> that's... Exactly. What's also fascinating about Paul, you know, is his letter to the Romans, chapter 1, the last few paragraphs, some of them are too <laughs> jarring to read on the radio, I mean, all these perversities that are occurring in that ancient world. 
And, you know, he doesn't gild the lily. He he just lists all the obstacles the early Christian has to face. And it's very daunting. Um, but at the same time, it's the same man. I could do all things in him who strengthens me. And so there's always that counterpoint. You know, he... He identifies all the problems, all these insurmountable difficulties, but then he alludes to the power of Jesus. And, you know, we have history to prove him correct. You know, there's, in his writings, he goes first on his missionary travels to the different Jewish synagogue that would be in each of the different cities that he visits. And so a lot of his letters are actually written to Jewish converts, that would have become Christian. Yes. So when we read the New Testament, when yes. we read these letters, how important is it for us to have that understanding of the audience to whom Paul is addressing? You know, I mean, we can take things away like we're just talking about. My grace is sufficient for you. Um, you know, that yes. uh, we, we have the lists of different things that we need to avoid, you know, the different sins that he points out. That can be just in general. But how can having the understanding of the audience, how can that help us to have a better knowledge and uh, comprehension of what he's really teaching us? Well, I think my speculation is obviously there's a diaspora of Jewish people, so you had synagogues all over the empire, you know. Um, there weren't big basilicas, but there were synagogues. Um, and so he, that was his contact. You know, when he would go take a trip, he just couldn't just appear in a pagan town and start proclaiming the gospel. He had to uh, go through channels, if you will. And you're correct. I mean, those first converts were Jewish converts, hence a lot of controversies about, you know, how much of the old law do we live, etc. But he would get mixed reviews from the from the synagogue, as we know. And But that gave him an entree to then address the Gentiles. And the Gentiles needed even more encouragement because the Jews had a legitimate pride that the, the natural law was actually revealed to them by God. And so they had a certain holy superiority complex that, you know, they're God's personal God, that God favors the chosen people, that God has given them a law that liberates them. Uh, where the Gentiles, you name it, it was a very perverse uh, amorality that characterized the, the mores of those citizens of the ancient world of the Roman Empire. And so they were more receptible, receptive to the mercy God wanted to give them, the everlasting life, because they were searching, and, and Paul was promising them uh, a new lease on life. And so the Gentiles started to flock after him. And then, you know, he corroborated that with kind of uh, unbelievable miracles and his own personality, on and on and on. So it's kind of hard to distinguish between, okay, the audience was originally Jewish, but it it it, it immediately uh, diffused into the Gentile world. Well, in St. Paul, he goes... Uh, in many different portions of his writings, as well as even yes. in correcting St. Peter. You know, St. Peter, who has this vision yes. of what was 
unclean now is clean. You know that that, um, and then right. there's also even where there's the um, oh I forget the the name of the household, but Saint Peter's there and sees that the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are present. Cornelius, Cornelius, and says, well, yeah. they haven't even been baptized. If they are to have received the Holy Spirit, what's to prevent this Gentile family from being baptized? And so we see in many different exactly. points where, okay, this is open to everyone now. As as St. Paul writes, there's yes. neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, depending on the translation you read. So we've got right, exactly. this really, really powerful, uh, I guess, motive of St. Paul where he says, no, this this has to go out beyond just the Jews. And if the Jews won't exactly. hear it, I've got to tell anyone who will listen. Basically, basically. And then he would, you know, I think it's in Acts 14, where he's in the synagogue and he's, you know, he doesn't fare very well. And uh, so he, you know, shakes the dust off his feet and right. he, I'm going to go to the Gentiles. So, you know, there's allusions to, all right, you chosen people, you're not going to listen to me. I'm going to the Gentiles, and then you know it's revealed uh, that God has called him to be the apostle of the Gentiles. I mean, that was at the moment of his conversion when Ananias, in a vision, received his marching orders how to give direction to Paul. Uh, so, yeah, and then I, I guess it was a mix because uh, Peter, you know, obviously he, he he converted Gentiles too, like Cornelius and that family. And, you know, how does it go? He's hanging out with the Gentiles, but in the presence of Jewish people, he kind of withdraws a bit. Paul catches him and corrects him. Right. Um, so it's kind of interesting. So they, they were very much into fraternal correction. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Father Peter, uh, we're going to take a break here shortly, but okay. I'm going to ask you right after the break, so give it some thought here yeah. during the break, uh, your favorite maybe one, two, or three passages from any of St. Paul's letters. So, And you might have mentioned them already, but I'm going to ask you right after the break, uh, so be ready for that. We're talking with Father Peter Arminio. He's a priest of Opus Dei, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life, as we're talking about the life and the teachings of St. Paul on the solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul, and how has St. Paul helped you to grow closer to Christ? Maybe you have one of those favorite passages a verse or a couple of verses that have really made an impact on you and help you to live out your faith. Uh, Maybe St. Paul has interceded for you when you've prayed to him, asked for his help in a certain area in your life, and he responded and helped you. Uh, We'd love to hear how St. Paul has been that inspirational instrument to draw you closer to Christ. In our studio line is 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. And we'll have more on St. Paul coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. If you're looking for a little help on your journey of faith, our priests are here for you. Call now, 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. Or email us, innerlife@relevantradio.com. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back to The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Peter Arminio, a priest of Opus Dei. 
And we're talking about the life and the teachings of St. Paul the Apostle. It is the solemnity of St. Paul, St. Peter and Paul, both of them. <laughs> Today we're talking about St. Paul here on The Inner Life. Yesterday we talked about St. Peter with a fellow Opus Dei priest, uh, Father J.P. Mitchell, and he joined us here on the program yesterday. If you want to hear any of that conversation, go back to the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. And of course, if you're just joining us and missed any earlier portion of today's broadcast, Same thing. Go find the podcast and listen to it. Um, Great conversation that we've had so far here on the life and the teachings of St. Paul. And we're inviting your questions about St. Paul, especially some of maybe the tricky areas to understand of his letters. Or how has St. Paul helped you, encouraged you? Maybe there's a passage from one of his writings, one of his letters in the New Testament that has helped you in your growth in holiness, growing closer to Christ. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father Peter, right before the break, I told you I was going to ask you, what what are your top, at least top one, if not top two or three passages that really speak to you from what St. Paul has written in the New Testament? Okay, well, you've made it easier because I quoted a number of passages already. I, I have a, a a lot of favorites, but these are these two are definitely uh, up there among my favorites, and they're both from the same letter to the Philippians. Uh, one because it encapsulates the life of Christ in such a succinct way, and uh, he says uh, here uh, in Philippians two four to ten, I think, do nothing from selfishness or conceit, but in humility count others better than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even unto death on the cross. So that's uh, called the kenosis, where Jesus is defined as a self-giving, self-emptying God, uh, God God-man, who has kind of pushed his divinity aside, metaphorically, uh, to become our servant, that our, our God is a divine servant. Uh, and probably the original word in Greek is slave. So God is a divine slave, uh, not out of coercion, but out of sheer love. And then the other one is uh, uh, Philippians 4, 4 to 8, I think, uh, 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men and women know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand to have no anxiety about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So those are one of my top uh, passages of St. Paul, but uh, 
The other ones I read, I, I also like. I mean, I like it all. The better. <laughs> You're not going to turn God. your back on anything that St. Paul wrote. <laughs> exactly. But I, <laughs> but I have my favorites. Excellent. So, um, well, and that uh, the first reading that you went through there from the second chapter of the letter to the Philippians, um, I remember yes. hearing at some point, I, I don't know if this is accurate, but that, that that might have been an early hymn of the the early church. They might have actually sang that. And, it could have been. It yeah. could have been. No, that, that's, it's accurate. Uh, whether it was or not, I, again, I don't know, but I've heard the same thing, that it was uh, probably a hymn, a chant, uh, given, I mean, I don't know, in an can- uncanny way, he, he really defines sentiments of Jesus Christ, you know, and uh, in a powerful way. Uh, In fact, uh, and I say this respectfully, people of the Muslim faith would find that almost blasphemous. You know, your God has what? Become a slave? Has emptied himself on the cross? Um, That's unheard of. And, you know, just a little tidbit even in the early church, I mean, they obviously they embraced the cross. It was the age of martyrdom, but they never used the crucifix as an artifact until the sixth century, because it was such a dreadful way of dying. I mean, it was not, you know, a decorative piece. Not, not that it's decorative now, but we will put on a rosary, we put on a wall, and obviously we want it there. And but not not in the early church because it was too close to home. It was it was a form of execution that people were familiar with. So originally, when that those words would be read, it got your attention. You know, um, well, and as your God is a God who, yeah, yeah. I, I was just going to say, as Go you're ahead. talking about, you know, that this would be too close to home, or how, um, yeah. you know, it might rub people of other faiths the wrong way. They'd say, yeah, how how in the world could you have a God who would humble himself, become this slave? suffer, die. Um, It reminds me of one of my favorite passages, which is from, uh, it's in the first chapter of St. Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, where he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, or wiser than man. Yes, that's one of my favorites. the weakness of God is stronger than man. Uh, You know, those those moments where we see weakness, that's God demonstrating his strength. Those moments where it, it, it seems like folly. Is where God it seems like folly. is is exercising wisdom that's beyond our comprehension, and uh, and we see that it's just kind of interesting. Go ahead, Father. It was kind of interesting that you cite that first chapter because uh, he opens up a new vista about the cross, and you know the what the early Christians heard. Paul, I think at least three times he associates the cross. Yeah, the cross is cross, uh, with the power of God. That the cross basically is the secret weapon, a weapon of love, but nevertheless a weapon of conquest, conquest through conversion and through winning hearts over, but conquest nevertheless, the cross is the power of God. You know, so uh, it's counterintuitive. You know, failure, suffering, persecution, uh, humiliation is the secret weapon of the cross, uh, of Christianity, of the work of evangelization. You know, Paul, then you know, he died a martyr outside of Rome. So, Well, and so as we kind of are getting towards the end of the hour before we run out of time here, yeah. if somebody okay. hasn't spent a lot of time reading Scripture, 
and they're hearing us talk about these different passages from St. Paul's letters, I would imagine that the first place you would say, well, start in one of the Gospels, get to know Jesus himself, you know, read about his life, read his words, read about what he teaches first. That would be of primary importance. If somebody does that, if they're familiar with, you know, uh, to a a certain degree with the Gospels, and they say, okay, I want to dive into the writings of St. Paul. It's a great day to do it, Solemnity of Saints Peter and Paul. Where would you recommend they start? Well, I would, I would, I would first do the four gospels because that's what the, those that's what his life is a commentary on those gospels. Then I would be even before uh, the actual epistles. I would definitely read the Acts of the Apostles just to get a flavor of the tone of the early church because the Acts of the Apostles basically is a history of the church. Uh, treatise. And then you get the life of St. Paul, you know, in cursory Right, it's kind of first highlight. half is like St. Peter, second half is St. Paul. You get to know both of them. In there. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, once you do that, alright, now, because, you know, he goes to Ephesus, it's, it's there in Acts, he goes to the area of the Colossians, he goes to Athens, he goes to Rome. So read about the history and his trips, then get into what exactly he said to those different churches in those various cities of the empire. And that's what I would do. And I would, I, I would urge a lot of patience, but more, I'd urge consistency. Personally, I would say, given the density of the whole New Testament, in sort of like lumps of rich ice cream, take it in small doses, but do it every day. You know, have a, have a plan. And I, I would say, you know, a lot of it, no more than five minutes. Uh, I mean, there's no law. I'm not creating a law, but I'm just saying that just to give because it's it's it can be difficult if you haven't done it before. But what I could guarantee from you know an experienced reader of the New Testament, it grows on you. You can get it, never get enough on it of it. And there's layers and layers of personal messages that you draw out of all sure. those writings. Well, and that's so yeah. I, I highly encourage this. Every time that I read through one of St. Paul's letters, every time I read through, you know, the letter of St. James or anything by St. Peter, it's every, every time, I think without exception, I can't think of one time, something new stands out to me. Even if I've Absolutely. read it, you know, 17 times before on that 18th time, oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> Where? How did I miss that before? <laughs> exactly. No, that's, that's very uh, common, you know, and... Uh... Yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. It's not like reading, you know, a book again. Right. You know, it's a whole different experience. That I think that's miraculous as well. You know, you read a book and you know, okay, well, now you're more familiar with the book. It's more than being more familiar. Right. Well, it it's is drawing the, more. Yeah, it's the living word of God. That's that's what we're talking exactly. about. So, exactly. Our exactly. spiritual director, Father Peter Armenio, a priest of Opus Dei, and Father, we're uh, just down to about our last thirty seconds here. Could I ask you to offer all okay. of our listeners a final blessing here today? Absolutely, Heavenly Father. You sent uh, your son, Jesus Christ, and through Jesus Christ, this vocation of these two illustrious saints, 
Help us draw a personal lesson so that we also can be united to you more intimately and be evangelizers in the modern world. We ask this through Christ our Lord in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much, Father Peter Armenio. And thank you for listening and being a part of the program. Of course, we want to encourage you. Stay tuned. We've got Mass that's coming up next. Father Rocky, our executive director here at Relevant Radio, he is the celebrant. And tomorrow, we're going to talk with Father Joseph Ilo. We're going to talk about how we can pass the faith on to our children. Have you got kids that you want to make sure stay in the church? Or maybe they need to come back to the church? It's going to be a great conversation. I hope you can join us. Have a great, wonderful, blessed afternoon.